This is Judaism 101.9 with Rabbi Michael Katz of Elovo. Hi, and a very warm welcome to you on this uh, slightly chilly and beautiful Wednesday afternoon here in the Highfield, coming to you live from uh, the studios of Chai FM. Um, I'm honored to be with you this afternoon for the next 40 minutes or so. It's just gone 11 minutes past two, and we are with you as the little blurb said on Judaism 101.9. Just interesting to note a couple of um, important events that happened this day many, many years ago. If we go back 2,815 years ago, there was a great event. And if we go back 2,375 years ago, uh, there was another important event that dominates this day, the 23rd day in the month of Sivan. The first is going back 2,815 years to the year 797 before the Common Era was that after King Solomon's passing in 797 before the Common Era, 2,815 years ago, yes, that's when King Solomon passed away, 10 of the 12 tribes of Israel, led by Yeravam ben Nevat of the tribe of Ephraim, rebelled against King Solomon's son and heir who was known as Rehovam. The Holy Land then split into two kingdoms, the kingdom of Israel in the north with Yeruvim as its king and the city of Samaria as its capital and the southern kingdom of Yehuda with its capital Yerushalayim where Yeruvim, where Rechavim rather, ruled over the two tribes Yehuda and Benjamin that remained loyal to the royal house of David. The spiritual center of the land remained Jerusalem <coughs> with the Holy Temple where the holy temple that was built by King Solomon stood, and where every Jew was obligated to make a three times a year pilgrimage for the festivals, as we know, of Pesach, Shavuos, and Sukkot. Pesach, Shavuot, and Sukkot. Now, seeing this as a threat to his sovereignty, Yeruvim set up on the 23rd of seven of that year, he set up roadblocks to prevent the people's pilgrimage to Yerushalayim, introducing instead the worship of two idols in the form of two golden calves, which he enshrined on the northern and southern uh, boundaries of his realm. Um, fascinating that this should have happened 2,815 years ago, that there should have been this division amongst our people, a uh, real barricade, not allowing and not enabling people to come down to Yerushalayim. Now, amazingly, these barricades remained in place for 223 years. Yes, you heard me correctly. For 223 years until Hoshea ben Ella, the last king of the northern kingdom, had them removed famously on the 15th of Av, Chamish Asab Av, in 574 before the Common Era. But by then the ten, ten tribes residing there were already being expelled from the land in a series of invasions by various Assyrian and Babylonian kings. And the last of these occurred in 556 before the Common Era. Well, Shamaneser of Assyria completely conquered the kingdom of Israel, destroyed its capital, exiled the last of the Israelites residing there and resettled the land with foreign people from Kuta and Babylon. These peoples, no, later known as Samaritans, assumed a form of Judaism as their religion, but they were never accepted as such by the Jewish people, and they subsequently built their own temple on Mount Gerizim and became, unfortunately, bitter enemies of the Jews. The ten lost tribes of Israel were never heard from again and awaiting the coming of Mashiach in order to be reunited, reunited with the Jewish people. So um, an amazing event that happened 2,815 years ago today, 23rd of Sivan. The barricades went up, blocking the north from the south 
um, dividing Israel literally in half and uh, not enabling people from the north to travel down to Yerushalayim for the three pilgrim festivals. Now, later on in Jewish history, in the year um, 357 before the Common Era, so in other words, 2,375 years ago, um, the decree of Haman was counteracted. And what happened here? After Haman was hanged in the famous Purim story on the 17th of Nisan, his evil decree um, to destroy, kill, and annihilate all the Jews from old to young, infants, and women in one day, the 13th of, uh, and the, uh, of the 12th month of Adar, actually remained in force. It was a most peculiar thing that although there had been this great um, uh, triumph with uh, Haman actually being hanged and so on, still... Strangely enough, the decree remained in force. Queen Esther pleaded with King Ahasuerus to annul the decree, but Ahasuerus insisted that a writ that was written in the king's name and sealed with the king's seal cannot be returned. Um, kind of once it's gone out, it's there. It's uh, There was no such thing as overturning a decree that he had made. And instead, he suggested to Esther and Mordechai to inscribe regarding the Jews as you please and seal it with the king's seal. So on the 23rd of Sivan, yes, on this day, Going back 2,375 years, Mordechai drafted a royal decree giving the Jews the license to defend themselves and to kill anyone who rose up against them to kill them, and he dispatched it to all 127 provinces of Ahasuerus' empire. And this, of course, is quoted in the book of Esther in chapter 8, um, exactly how this all worked a most interesting and fascinating series of events that happened on this day all those years ago, Um, thinking, of course, of the fact that um, enemies keep on trying to destroy us. There were sometimes barricades and fences that were placed there to avoid the Jewish people from uh, coming as they should have to the temple. But really, the incredible decree of uh, Mordechai and Esther that was signed into being on the 23rd of Sivan, um, 2,375 years ago, actually enabled and um, kind of mainstreamed and put into our psyche the idea that the Jewish people could and would defend themselves and never again would our people come under the kind of threats that, um, unfortunately, people throughout the ages have tried to place them under and that um, the Jewish people would and rightly defend themselves when the need arises. And it all happened on the 23rd of Sivan all those years ago. Also interesting, of course, to note is the presence of the Jewish people Obviously, always in the land of Israel um, throughout these thousands of years, it's an indisputable fact. It is something that um, one uh, need not actually even argue or think about anymore. So as uh, we approach 17, 18 minutes past two, I thought that today we would get into something that a listener actually asked me to try and address, which was to sort of just get back to basics of um, preparations for Shabbos. How are we supposed to prepare for Shabbat? Yes, it is Wednesday. And of course, on a Wednesday, in our Psalms that we say um, for each day of the week, um, each one a pe- peculiar or particular psalm that was uh, said by the Levium in the Beis Amignash in the temple. For Wednesday, we end off with Lechuna Ranana. On a Wednesday, we end off with kind of the opening line of um, the Friday night Kabbalat Shabbat um, um, service. And therefore, it is quite a... Uh, 
prophetic and quite a an interesting thing that it actually says that from Wednesday we are actually into the throes, into the shadow already of the coming Shabbos. It is on Wednesday today that we actually should start really thinking about and preparing for Shabbos. Let us start to give praises on this day in order to look forward to Shabbos. This is Judaism 101.9 with Rabbi Michael Katz of Elovo. Someone has asked that we dedicate our learning today to Yitzchak ben Herschel, and we certainly will, and obviously to anybody else who perhaps um, has a yard site today or uh, perhaps people who need a refuah shlema. Um, we dedicate all our learning always, hopefully, to um, all of those people, and we wish them and their families well. Now, talking about um, Shabbos, one of the things that has um, often come up, and particularly of late, is uh, the idea actually of preparing for Shabbos. Now, preparing for Shabbos sounds like a simple thing, but um, in fact, there is a large amount of Jewish law um, that talks about preparing for Shabbos. Um, it has unfortunately very all too often become such a frenetic rush on a Friday afternoon that um, we kind of hope that somebody else has prepared for Shabbos. We hope that um, the women in the house have uh, prepared for Shabbos and uh, certainly it seems or it would seem to most perhaps that there's not much for me to do. I can just rush in um, with moments to spare before uh, Shabbos, before uh, we light the candles, or before the um, 18 minutes are up and the sun has set, and then I can kind of flop into Shabbos, and that's all that needs to happen. In fact, we're told, according to Judaism 101.9, according to the basics of Judaism, that um, that is actually incorrect. Because we actually need to prepare for the advent of Shabbos and the preparations we're told by our sages for Shabbos need to be akin to those that are made when we expect an important guest. We need to reflect on repentance and improving our deeds. And it's preferable to welcome the Shabbos queen in a state of purity when one is free from sin. So, first of all, a little bit of introspection, a bit of personal preparation and getting ourselves into the right frame of mind. Now, it also says that um, you shall call Shabbos a delight and show honor to the day made holy by God. This is a quote from Isaiah, from Yeshayahu, 58 verse 13. And it says the requirement to honor the Shabbos applies actually to everyone. Even when one's family and servants can make all the necessary preparations for Shabbos, one should nevertheless prepare at least one thing for Shabbos. A person needs to do something. For Shabbos, um, whether it is, as uh, we're often told and quoted from great sages who used to make it their thing to buy the fish for Shabbos, to um, uh, prepare the candles for Shabbos, um, to prepare the lights, to make sure that the uh, the fire was going in the fireplace, to turn on the stove, to do something in order to prepare for Shabbos. This is something that's actually incumbent upon each and every individual, not just for the women in the home, and it certainly should not all be left to our staff, to our servants, to our um, uh, people who are working for us, or to the, f the rest of the family. Everybody needs to do something. It's a mitzvah to purchase one's Shabbos needs early on a Friday. Yeah, well, go tell that to the average uh, person here in, in Joburg or anywhere else in the world. We all know that late afternoon frenetic rush. But, of course, then the shops do close a little bit earlier. And um, it's a mitzvah to pur purchase your Shabbos needs early on a Friday. And this law is derived from the Torah's account of the manna that fell 
for the Israelites in the Sinai Desert and the double portion that fell on a Friday for that day and for Shabbos. And the Torah tells us that on Friday, the Jews, the Israelites, will prepare that which they will bring in. The manna fell early in the morning, as the verse says, they gathered it early in the morning. So the early morning was really the time of picking up the mon, the manna, getting yourself ready for Shabbos, and therefore it's something that should be done early on a Friday. When there are foods that you are preparing that require a lengthy preparation, those should be bought on Thursday. And in the winter, when the days are shorter, like they are now in Joburg, it's preferable to do all the Shabbos shopping on a Thursday. Now, sages tell us that on Rosh Hashanah, God determines a person's sustenance for the entire year, except for two areas. One is the expenses he incurs in honoring Shabbos and Yom Tov, and the second is in his children's Torah study. These specific areas, if one increases your expenses, the Torah guarantees, God guarantees, that you will be fully compensated. If there's more money that you spend on educating your children in a Torah way, if there's more money that you spend on honoring Shabbos and Yom Tov, you have absolutely nothing to worry about according to Torah, according to Jewish thinking. Those will be repaid. You will get them back. They're not part of your allotment that you're given on Rosh Hashanah. Therefore, a person can freely purchase delicacies and special items for Shabbos without worrying about his diminishing income. And so we need to make sure that we do expend um, a lot more for Shabbos and for Yom Tov, that we make sure that those preparations are done and that we do not shy away from spending money when it comes to Shabbos and Yom Tov. Um, Of course, um, people are not supposed to go into debt over it. You're not supposed to go wild over it. You're not supposed to waste um, food and money and so on. But we certainly should not be afraid of investing a little bit more in Shabbos than we would for any other time. Tasty dishes should be prepared for all our Shabbos meals. It is a mitzvah to taste the dishes while they're being prepared to ensure that they're appetizing. Yeah, this is now possibly one of the things where the women... Ladies uh, who are kind of protective over their kitchens may get a little bit nervous where the husband walks in to the kitchen, takes a uh, swig of the chicken soup or a taste of the uh, pulka from the, uh, from the oven or whatever. Actually, it's a mitzvah to taste the food before Shabbos to make sure that it's appetizing, to make sure that it's delicious. You know, when you've had that little bite, that little taste, of course, there's nothing like the fragrances, the smells, and the atmosphere of a Shabbos home that is getting prepared. But when you have a little taste, it's regarded as part of the mitzvah of preparing for Shabbos. Now, everyone should, according to their means, have meat, wine, and other good foods for the Shabbos table and for the Shabbos meals. It's desirable to have fish at each of the three Shabbos meals. That is for the Friday night meal, for the Shabbos lunch meal, as well as for the meal that you have called Shalosh Sudas, the third meal at the end of Shabbos after Mincha on Shabbos afternoon. But um, only if you like fish or want to have it at every meal, because Shabbos is meant to be enjoyed and not to be cumbersome. So, of course, if somebody has an aversion, you have an allergy, you don't like the thought or the idea of eating fish at all, um, it's obviously not meant to be there as a disturbance, but rather it should be something that is enjoyed. Women are supposed to prepare for Shabbos not only by doing the shopping and the buying and so on, the purchasing, but actually women should bake chalas. They should bake 
what are known in this country as kitkas, but they, in fact, if we take a look carefully into holy Jewish writings, just by the way, the word kitka actually emanates from a halachic um, uh, source, um, although people have all sorts of myths and mythology about uh, kitka, the idea of a kitka actually is brought in um, old Torah writings, which talk about the kitka being the huge challah that was kind of placed on the table in front of a bride and groom sort of thing at a um, at a wedding feast. That's the big one. The really, really big challah is actually and was actually called by our sages uh, of old as a kitka. But uh, what we have usually on our table is the smaller ones, a challah. It's customary for women actually to bake their own. Yes, there are marvelous and wonderful bakeries in Joburg and I suppose, I guess, everywhere else in the world as well where people can pick up uh, fresh baked challahs on a Friday. Um, there are really some special ones uh, around and it's great. I know that people like to sample from different bakeries or then they establish their favorite one where they're particularly crispy or they're particularly soft inside or whatever or they lost until Shavas. Um, not not that they wouldn't be eaten, but that they remain soft and and fresh. Um, now, this specially uh, made challah bread should be made actually by women in the home on Friday, if it's at all possible. And this should be done to honor Shabbos by making especially festive foods and enabling the women to fulfill the special mitzvah of separating challah um, or the piece of dough that was separated for the kohen. Now, there are many laws that apply to the mitzvah of separating challah. And just very briefly, one is required to separate a piece, the challah, from dough that is made of wheat or rye, oats, barley, or spelt flour. And you may not eat any product made of a dough, such as bread, matzah, matzah meal, cookies, cake, etc., before a piece was actually separated from it. This is according to Torah law, according to Shulchan Aruch. You're not allowed to do that unless a piece was actually taken taken off. And the mitzvah of separating a piece from the dough is derived from the verse in Bamidbar 15, verse 20, where it says you must separate the first portion of your dough as a dough offering. Now, what? how is this actually done? Um a piece of the dough which was separated, sorry, a piece of the, the dough separated is called challah, and one actually has to say this is challah. The piece should be the size of a kazais, a large olive, but if the piece was smaller, one has nonetheless fulfilled the mitzvah. If one is separating a piece out of doubt, in other words, uh, that it was done by the baker from the store, brought products, for example, some prefer to separate only a very small amount. You recite a blessing when separating the piece as long as it is over a certain size, which you'll need to check with your rav, with your rabbi or your rebetzin and so on. And you say a bracha, baruch Hashem, The effect is that we say this bracha, one who sanctified us with his mitzvahs and commanded us to separate the challah from the dough. And then one says, this is challah. Um, according to the Chazonish, one recites the blessing only if the dough contains at least 2,250 grams of flour. And according to Rav Chaim Na'eh, one recites the blessing if the dough contains at least 1,660 grams of flour. If the dough contains a minimum of 1,200 grams of flour, one takes a piece from it and says the words, this is challah, but you do not say a bracha. And there's no obligation to separate challah from dough containing less than that amount of flour. A piece of dough that was separated may not be eaten. It should be burnt, wrapped up, and placed in the garbage, um, but uh, should not be thrown away in a degrading manner. Um, a woman 
has first priority to perform the mitzvah of challah. If there's no woman in the house, of course, a man may do that mitzvah. If doubt exists where the challah was separated from items made of flour, um, which were bought in Israel, for for instance, one may separate a piece, as we said before, from them before they're eaten. And when challah is separated because of doubt, as we said, we do not say a bracha. And outside of Israel, you're obligated to separate challah, only if it is certain that a piece was not separated. We then need to make sure that our house is cleaned for Shabbos and prepared for Shabbos. The house should be cleaned and it should be put in order in honor of Shabbos. We don't leave things lying around. People should not walk into a Shabbos home, even if you're not having guests with things lying all over the place. It's part of the mitzvah of Shabbos to prepare the house, to get it cleaned up, to get it looking presentable, to make sure that there are not things lying all over the place. And The table should be covered with a tablecloth and it should be set in honor of Shabbos. Um, all the tables should be covered. They should remain this way covered throughout Shabbos until after Avdallah. You should leave your Shabbos table laid with the candles on it, etc. throughout the day of Shabbos. Shabbos table should be set up while it's yet day so that everything is ready when the family returns from shul on a Friday night. We should also make sure that we have special clothes for Shabbos and the clothes that are needed for Shabbos should be washed by Thursday so that on Friday there'll be sufficient time to do all the other Shabbos preparations. The prophet Yeshayahu says about Shabbos you should honor it and not conduct your regular affairs on it. On the words honor it, our sages commented, your clothing on Shabbos should be like, it should not be like the clothing you wear on a weekday. You should dress up for Shabbos. You should wear Shabbos clothing and you should try and make sure that you wear nicer clothing on Shabbos. It's an interesting thing that it's kind of become in some circles a modern trend that while you would wear a suit for um, and a tie perhaps for work, um, you come home and you change into casual clothes for Shabbos. In fact, it really should be the other way around. And if possible, a man should have a special talus that he wears on Shabbos. This is Judaism 101.9 with Rabbi Michael Katz of Elovo. We're carrying on with our uh, brief um, look at preparations for Shabbos, what we have to do on a Friday to prepare for Shabbos. And uh, we've discussed the various things that have to be done in the home, the cooking preparations, uh, baking challah, taking challah, separating challah, and so on. What about washing and bathing, taking a haircut and so on? Well, one should wash oneself with hot water on Friday in honor of Shabbos. This according to the Shulchan Aruch. If he's unable to wash your whole body, you should wash at least the face, the hands and the feet with warm water. And some have a custom, of course, to immerse themselves in a mikveh um, in honor of Shabbos. If you need a haircut, it is a mitzvah actually to have it done in honor of Shabbos. You should cut your fingernails on a Friday. And some of the custom not to cut their fingernails and toenails on the same day. And some people don't cut their hair or nails on the Rosh Chodesh. Otherwise, fingernails should be cut on Erev Shabbos on Friday. The Gemara states that one who burns his nail clippings is pious. One who buries them is righteous and one who throws them down is wicked. Therefore, we should take heed that nail clippings do not fall on the floor where somebody could tread on them. There was once a story that the Talmud brings about a uh, someone who trod on them and through that there was a miscarriage and therefore um, we make sure that we do not do anything that in the slightest way could be um, in any way a uh, misgiving or a trip up for anybody in any possible fashion but there is also the idea of the impurity of it um, cut hair and cut fingernails um, coming from the part of the body as they do are regarded as containing a certain element of impurity and we should not just lackadaisically leave those lying around 
Of course, when you cut your nails, fingernails and toenails should be cut um, uh, out of order. They are not cut, cut in order, but the nails of the left hand should be cut um, in a certain order and those of the right hand in a certain, certain order that even with the two hands together, that it does not follow one after the other. What about eating on a Friday? You know, a lot of people um, make lunch parties or later than that, um, parties on a Friday afternoon. What about this? Um, well, we're told that um, in order to show honor for Shabbos, we should not eat a large meal on a Friday afternoon so that we'll have an appetite for the Friday night Shabbos meal. And the following are a few details regarding the laws of eating on Friday. Number one. You should not eat the kind of festive meal on Friday that you would that one is not want to eat during the week, such as a friend's reunion or a siyum celebration upon completion of a Talmudic tractate. So you wouldn't make a siyum on a Friday afternoon and you would not have a gathering to welcome a friend back from overseas, kind of spe- spe- specifically scheduled for a Friday afternoon. Secondly, a meal celebrating a mitzvah, which falls on a Friday, such as a bris, or a pidyon ben should be held earlier in the day so that the meal can actually be completed and eaten before midday. A normal meal could be eaten on Friday, but it's a mitzvah to avoid eating such a meal during the last quarter of the day. So certainly not late on a Friday afternoon should one sit down to a meal. You don't wash for hamotzi and so on. And during the short winter days, we should refrain from eating a meal even earlier so that you'll have an appetite. Remember that um, shul ends early on a Friday night, um, certainly in the winter, and we have the opportunity to eat a lot earlier. We should have an appetite to eat the Friday night meal and not come to the table and feel full and uh, disinterested or uninterested in a Friday night dinner. Having a snack in place of a meal is permitted, of course, throughout Friday. What about work on a Friday afternoon? Well, on a Friday afternoon, we should not perform any substantial labor in a set, fixed, regular way from the time for Mincha. So later on, on a Friday afternoon, we should not work. We should leave work early if we're at any kind of other job. We certainly should not begin something or schedule meetings for late on a Friday. Um, But casual work like letter writing is permitted and work that's required for Shabbos needs, such as fixing a Shabbos dress, taking a haircut, cooking, baking, cleaning, etc. may actually be done any time on Friday. This is Judaism 101.9 with Rabbi Michael Katz of Elovo. What about traveling on a Friday afternoon or a Friday per se? There are many people who have the custom not to travel at all on a Friday if they can possibly help it and certainly not to embark on a long journey on a Friday. Strictly speaking, the Shulchan Aruch tells us that if we've got, of course, if we've got ample time in order to arrive at our destination and Everything is prepared for us at the destination. In other words, we don't have to start cooking and worrying about Shabbos and so on um, when we get there, but it's actually someone is waiting for us. A family member has gone up ahead or you're traveling to a child who lives out of town or whatever, that as long as there is ample time to arrive before Shabbos with good time and, um, of course, enabling one or allowing for possible delays along the way. Um, you never know what the traffic is going to be like. You never know about what the weather may be like, perhaps a weather change, perhaps a uh, rainstorm or whatever may be. Um, one may not leave if there is going to be any doubt about r- arriving in the place um, with good and ample time for Shabbos. And it makes a difference if Shabbos is prepared for you there or if you are going to have to get there and then still prepare Shabbos. If you're going to get there and still have to prepare Shabbos, one should not arrive 
um, anywhere within the vicinity of being close to Shabbos, you need to, of course, always allocate and allow for ample time um, and for uh, possibilities that may occur. What would happen if you got a flat tire, if you're driving? What would happen if, of course, there was an accident on the highway and you couldn't get through? We've got to allow for ample Reasonable, of course, time in order to be able to avoid um, infringing in any way on Shabbos, the sanctity of Shabbos, or even the looking forward to Shabbos that we actually have to have on each and every Friday and for each and every Shabbos. So a fascinating day today as we started out by telling you about certain great and incredible events that happened on this day, the 23rd of seven, way back in history. Um, and then, of course, dealing with our attitudes and the things that we should be doing in order to prepare for Shabbat each and every week, each and every Shabbos, each and every Friday. And uh, so hopefully um, we have learned something together today, and hopefully we will take it a little bit more seriously in our Advent to um, this coming Shabbat and all the Shabbos is up ahead. I want to wish you a great rest of the week. I want to wish you a good Shabbos for the coming Shabbos. Hopefully we'll spend a little more time and a little bit more effort and energy in preparing for this coming Shabbat and hopefully from for every Shabbat thereafter. Wish you a great one. Look forward to being back with you same time, same place next week on Judaism 101.9.